This is Glass City Humanist, a show about humanism, humanist values, by a humanist. Here is your host, Douglas Berger. Lee Strang is locally well-known as a constitutional law professor, and he also has some strong Christian nationalist tendencies that have helped the religious extremists in the Ohio legislature hurt many Ohio citizens. It probably is no surprise that he also doesn't think the First Amendment religion clauses apply to atheists and secular humanists. Glass City Humanist is an outreach project of the secular humanists of Western Lake Erie, building community through compassion and reason for a better tomorrow. One of the things that I have tried to do with this podcast over the time that I've been doing it is I've really been trying to uh, hold to the humanist principle that that all, all our ideas are open to questioning and examination. Uh, in, in humanism, you know, we examine our beliefs on a continual basis based on new information that we, we may receive and we may change our viewpoints on something. Um, the classic one I always give is I tell people that I've, I've changed my views on homeschooling. I used to be very, very much against homeschooling uh, 20 some 25 years ago. You know, and I fell into that same um, myth, mythology about homeschooling that that it's insular and and kids need to socialize and so they need to do that in a public school etc cetera, etc cetera. and and I came around I came around because you know we see uh, religious people setting up their own their home you know doing the homeschooling and they're teaching kids uh, religious beliefs in in place of actual uh knowledge that they would need in order to be productive citizens, etc. So I'm thinking, well, why can't humanist parents or free-thinking parents also homeschool their children to be more humanist and more free-thinking? So, you know, if the religious people can do it, I think that uh, atheists, free-thinker, humanist people can do it too. So having said that, um, one of the things I've always been open to in this is having guests on that don't necessarily, aren't necessarily humanists. And I've, I've had a few of those, but they're not uh, conservative. They're not religious. They haven't been conservative. They haven't been religious, overtly religious, put it that way. And, uh, and I want to have discussions. And, and one of the things that I've seen uh, since I've lived in Toledo is I've been exposed to uh, professor Lee Strang. He's a professor at the University of Toledo Law School. He's a constitutional, uh, constitutional law professor. And, and the reason why I've been exposed to him is because the, he's appeared in t- Toledo media quite often. Uh, he's had m- several articles written about him in the Toledo Blade. Uh, um, they've had him on local TV stations to explain, uh, constitutional issues. Um, Jerry Anderson in the leading edge interviewed him. Um, I think just shortly after Roe v. Wade was overturned, you know, he's the go-to guy in local media when you want to talk about constitutional issues. Um, I've been concerned about <laughs> Professor Strang for some time. And it, and it kind of coalesced, coalesced, uh, recently when the, uh, state government, the state legislature was considering giving the University of Toledo $3 million to set up what was essentially a conservative think tank. And then I kind of find out that Professor Strang, it was his idea. And so it kind of looks like he's getting a payback for Helping, and I found this out later that he's been helping the Ohio Republican Party in some of their extremist laws. Uh, he's, he gave testimony to support, uh, state issue one that, uh, at the time that this is going to be, 
at the time that this is recorded, I'm recording this on election day, August the 8th. And so he had a hand in that. Um, some other concerns I had was during the pandemic, he got together a group of parents to sue the state to try to get the mask mandate uh, that was required in, in, in schools to get the mask mandate um, thrown out during the pandemic. There was another situation where he was uh, interviewed about a, a professor in uh, southern Ohio who was um, reprimanded. He lost pay or something like that because he refused to use the preferred pronouns for one of his students. And, of course, Professor Strang supported uh, that professor's, um, ultimately, he, the, that professor won his lawsuit. And Professor Strang supported that decision. All right. So then I had a friend of the show who I can't name because he wants to remain anonymous, sent me uh, um, several pages of information that shows the Christian nationalist ideology of Professor Strang. And so I wanted to talk to him about it, though. One of the things that when I was investigating was I found a paper that he had written in 2001 or 2002, I think it was 2001, that where he made the claim and made the argument that First Amendment religious protections do not cover uh, atheists or humanists. All right. So I wanted to talk to him. So what I did was I sent him an email. I said, you know, I have this podcast, Glass City Humanist. You know, I'd like to interview you about these things. And I said, you know, you're an anti-abortion activist. Uh, I was interested in your paper um, and s some other I issues. And I said, you know, I'd like to interview you. Thinking that he was not going to agree. And he sent me an email back saying, I would love to appear on your show. I'm like, great. So we worked it out. The, the date that we were going to do it was July 31st. And we were going to do it at the, the studios for WAKT um, because he wanted to do it in person, which is fine. And so we scheduled that. So I was thinking about things that I was going to say and working some questions out and comes out a week before I send him an email, reminder email saying, you know, you've agreed to meet with me on the 31st at, at one o'clock. We're going to talk for about an hour. Here are some of the topics we're going to talk about. He sends me an email back saying that he was not, a, he, he didn't appreciate some of the topics that I wanted to talk about, like saying that he was an anti-abortion activist. And uh, he said, I didn't know this was going to be all about me. I thought we were going to talk about uh, policies and laws. And he said, maybe we should just not do it. So he canceled. Well, I have all this information. I wanted to uh, do this episode about Professor Strang, but he's not here to answer some of these questions. So we're just going to go ahead and do the show, do the episode without him. I'm not making an argument or anything. And, and I just want to be clear. Professor Strang is a Catholic. He is very religious as you'll find out in, in the information that I have on him. He's a, a devout Catholic. He's in, he's a, a supporter of the anti-abortion movement. I do not have a problem with people being religious. Okay. If you want to be religious, if you want to live your life under, uh, according to a certain religious, uh, template and, and, and beliefs and, and do all that more power to you. I have a problem when people take their religion and use it to justify extremist laws and policies that affect other people who may or may not be that religious. For example, banning abortion. I don't believe in that. Uh, these laws that have specifically targeted the LGBT community recently, like the SAFE Act, uh, Reverend... Reverend Click over in Fremont uh, got the SAFE Act passed that would ban gender-affirming care. I disagree with that as well. 
If you want to be religious and live your life as, as your religious dictates say, more power to you. What you can't do is you can't tell other people how to live their lives according to your religious dictates. And that is the main thrust of this episode, talking about Professor Lee Strang. He's not, he's not a terrible human being. He's actually very nice. He was nice to, to me. You know, he didn't like name call me or anything when he said he wasn't going to be on and whatever. He's a very nice guy. And I'm sure he's a very good teacher or else he wouldn't be <laughs> having a job. I just disagree with his politics and I disagree with his religion. And I, and one of the things I support is a strict separation of religion and government. And so some of this stuff I'm going to talk about comes from that viewpoint. So I just wanted to make this introduction, clarify some things that this is not, a, a, I'm not, this is not a hit piece on Professor Strang personally. This is just an example of the kinds of things that we need to get away from, especially here in Ohio, because a lot of this extremist uh, law that Professor Strang supports hurts other people. And I think people, people need to realize that. So let's get started. Professor Strang is a proponent of constitutional originalism. And if you're not familiar with that term, that's used by conservatives because they don't like the fact that uh, uh, courts in the past have applied uh, the Constitution to uh, so society changes. So, like, for example, uh, Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973 on the basis that uh, uh, was a basis of the right to privacy, that the that unless somebody's life was in danger, the mother's life was in danger, the government had no reason to get involved with her decision to abort her pregnancy. That was the, I, I know I'm simplifying things, but that was the main argument was the right to privacy. And that was based on a, a, an earlier court case that, that did away with laws that prevented doctors from talking to patients about uh, birth control. Yeah, there used to be laws preventing doctors from talking about birth control. And the court said, no, that, that's marital stuff. That's private. That's no concern of the government. The same with sodomy laws. Uh, there's a sodomy law in Texas that was struck down in the, in, I believe it was in the eighties, late eighties, early nineties. Might have been, uh, I apologize for not having the dates, but. Again, the court said what people do in their bedroom is no concern of the government. You have a right to privacy. Well, one of the major proponents, um, uh, modern proponents of originalism was uh, Justice Anton Scalia, who is no longer with us. He passed away several years ago. And he famously said in a speech at some law school or some legal thing that the Constitution does not include a right to privacy. There is no, nobody has a right to privacy because it's not explicitly stated in the Constitution. And that's how originalists work, is if it's not in the Constitution, then it's not a federal question. That, that was the main argument that was used to overturn Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs decision, was that abor the abortion law or the right to an abortion was not a federal question. It was not a civil rights question that the federal government should get involved with. And so the way the Constitution is written is a power that does not go to the federal government then gets passed on to the states. And so that's what the Dobbs decision did was it passed the, the decision on to the states. So now you're going to have, instead of having a right to abortion because in all the states because of the 14th Amendment that says that you have to apply the law fairly and equally to everybody, now you're going to have a mishmash of state laws, various uh, levels, uh, various, some are going to ban them outright, like uh, Arkansas. Uh, some of them are going to have severe restrictions. Uh, then you're going to have states like New York and California where 
It's going to be like it was during Roe v. Wade. Um, Michigan recently uh, approved a state constitutional amendment that protects reproductive rights. And here in the state of Ohio, they just got certified for a ballot measure in November that would do the same in Ohio, that if it passes, it would also protect reproductive rights in Ohio. So it would depend on where you live, whether or not you had a right to reproduce, you had reproductive rights. And you, and you can see how that's unfair. You really do. Because I, I would think that bodily autonomy is a primary civil right. I mean, they have, you know, it, it starts out with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, how does banning abortion fill any of those requirements? They don't. But that's for another, that's for another episode. We're not going to get into that argument right off the bat. But anyway, so Scalia was famous, famous for this, that there's no such thing as, as privacy and originalism. And so some people might be confused. And, um, so basically there's two slightly different understandings of originalism. Uh, one is original intent that says we should interpret the Constitution based on what its drafters originally intended when they wrote it. The other is that we should interpret the Constitution based on the original meaning of the text, not necessarily what the founders intended, but how the words they used would have generally been understood at the time. And it says both versions of originalism, original intent, and original meaning contend that the Constitution has permanent static meaning that's based into the, baked into the text. Originalism in either iteration is in direct, uh, directly con, is contrary to the living Constitution theory. That's one legal experts believes that they, they call it living Constitution, but what it is is interpreting the Constitution as if it was written today rather than when it was written in 17, in the 1790s. Okay. So that's originalism. Strang was, is a big proponent of that. He also wrote a paper in 2012 called, uh, that called into question whether or not the First Amendment applied to atheists. Uh, his argument in that paper was that the word, uh, the First Amendment, only talks about religion. So the title of this paper was called The Meaning of Religion in the First Amendment. And the abstract from it is, this article articulates the original meaning of, quote, religion, unquote, in the First Amendment. This article contends that religion in 1791 meant belief in a God with uh, concomitant duties in this life and a future state of rewards and punishments. Religion did not encompass atheism. And that is a very pr- provocative uh, paper. And if you read it, he makes, makes the argument uh, based on the reading, his reading of history and, and uh, the founders and, and how they felt about things that the originalist meaning or the actual meaning of the term religion meant Christianity or at least a, a, a monotheistic uh, religion that believed in punishment and rewards in, an, in the afterlife. So that's what he believes that the First Amendment, uh, the Establishment and Free Exercise Clause covers religion, but not anybody that's not uh, religious, like uh, uh, secular humanists. And he goes on for many, many, many pages <laughs> try, talking about original, originalism and, and, the, and the meaning. And so I will, the, the paper is available free of charge from uh, this paper website, and I'll put the link in the show notes so you can actually read the whole thing. But what I wanted to know, and this is what I wanted to talk to him about when if he was going to be on the show, was his conclusion. Okay, so on page 239, well, it's not 239 pages. It's on the 59th page of his paper. 
but in this uh, journal that it was published in, it was page 239, and, and it and it was and this was published in 2002. It says here he writes, uh, Strang writes, in the realm of the establishment clause, persons who sue claiming that the government has established a religion when the religion is secular humanism would not prevail under the original meaning of the Constitution. Secular humanism is a belief system that places individual autonomy as the pen, uh, pen, penalty, uh, as the, the top belief and claims that value is individual relative, guided by human reason. With these beliefs, secular humanism is not considered a religion by even the most attenuated originalist definition, and thus persons seeking to prevent the government from espousing such beliefs would not succeed under the original meaning of religion. Finally, if the government seeks to exclude certain groups that are religious in the modern broad sense from access to fora that religious groups traditionally understood are admitted to does not constitute discrimination in violation of the Establishment Clause. If a group's belief system does not conform to the original meaning of a religion, that group has no Establishment Clause claim. The exclusionary government would not have the defense, however, of avoiding Establishment Clause problems in a free speech claim by the excluded group. So, you know, and that was basically what I was trying to look for is a lot of times when people like Strang make these, these uh, arguments about original meanings and, and whether or not somebody deserves certain rights or fetuses or people is I always want to know what, what the end game is. You know, what is the result? What are you looking for to happen if you, if, if we, you know, if we say, okay, we'll do this, then what? And here he's saying that even though secular humanists couldn't have a complaint in it for establishment clause reasons, because secular humanism is not a religion, they would possibly have a case under free speech uh, uh, jurisprudence. So I don't know. Like I said, it was a pr provocative paper, and it's something that I wanted to discuss with him pretty much, uh, if he was here and get his thoughts about it. Because, you know, I think that the way that the courts address, uh, uh, deeply held beliefs as religious, quote unquote, for purposes of the First Amendment, I think that is more fair and more just than saying, well, you know, these Christians, they get an exemption because of the Establishment and Free Exercise Clause. But me, being a secular humanist, I don't get the same exemption because I, 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 I'm not a religion. And so I have to file a lawsuit based on free speech reasons. And, and I just can see, I'm not a lawyer, but I can see the problems with that. And so, um, if you want to read up more on, on the definition of religion in the First Amendment, there's a case from 1970, a conscientious objector case called Welsh v. United States. It talks about it. He talks about, Strang talks about it in his paper and some other ones too. Uh, but that one, the Welsh one is the most, most recent one that, uh, expanded the definition of religion to include any deeply held belief. So basically, Strang's an originalist who doesn't believe that uh, atheists are protected under the First Amendment. Well, modify that. Not protected under the Establishment or the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. For more information about the topics in this episode, please visit glasscityhumanist.show. Uh, one of the other items that he took exception to, that Professor Strang took exception to, was that I had called him an anti-abortion activist. And he said that that was not a good characterization. Um, the thing is, you know, I have receipts. <laughs> uh, this dossier that this uh, friend of the show put together has some very good uh, uh, 
information about Strang and his anti-abortion activities. For example, you can learn more about Strang's position by listening to his 60-minute interview on May 3, 2022, with the president of the Center for Christian Virtue, the day after the leaked Roe v. Wade opinion was announced. And again, I need to point out that the Center for Christian Virtue funded his anti-abortion amicus brief in the Dobbs decision that uh, made the argument that unborn fetuses were people. Strang is also the past secretary and a current member of the Foundation for Life, which is an umbrella organization that includes all the anti-abortion groups in Toledo and Northwest Ohio. On May 17, 2022, the organization hosted Strang for his talk on the case for personhood at Post Row. And again, that is playing off of his amicus brief. The event was held in the evening at his the school that he founded, the Northwest Ohio Classical Academy. In 2019, Peter Range, executive director of Ohio Right to Life, interviewed Strang for his show on Annunciation Radio to discuss the basis for overturning Roe v. Wade. And there's also another issue that in the pro-life community we've debated for a long period of time, and that is, even if, if there's not a constitutional right to abortion, is there a constitutional right to life for unborn human beings in the United States? And that, and that debate has been going on since Roe versus Wade. And, and honestly, as, as I told Aaron, my view had been that there was not a, a constitutional right to personhood for unborn humans. But then after a, a series of articles that I read last spring, that I started to think, gosh, maybe I re- rethink that issue. And it culminated after a conversation with Aaron in a, in a brief that, that I submitted in my own name to the U.S. Supreme Court, arguing for an interpretation of the word person in the 14th Amendment that would protect all human beings, including unborn human beings. So, so I, the, the case is personally important to me as a scholar, but and of course as a pro-lifer, but as a scholar as well. And Aaron played a big role in helping me think through and move towards doing that. So thank you. In 2011, Strang wrote a letter of testimony to the Ohio Senate Health and Human Services and Aging Committee supporting passage of the informed consent provisions of HB 125, also called the Heartbeat Bill. He shared that he was a board member of Toledo Area Right to Life and directly declared his goal of outlawing abortion. And there's, I also have a Facebook posting from the Foundation for Life of Northwest Ohio with a picture of Professor Strang speaking at his school to 75 guests on the history of U.S. Supreme Court abortion decisions in Roe v. Wade and Dobbs case. Also, the argument for personhood. Um, And then I also have an image of the quarterly publication for the Foundation for Life from the summer of 2013 that shows board members and it shows Lee Strang as secretary. And also his friend from UT, Kirk Ross, was also on the board at that time. So that is the receipts on his anti-abortion activism. I mean, you don't write paper, you don't, you don't write uh, amicus briefs and talk about personhood for fetuses and serve on the board of Foundation for Life if you're not anti-abortion. And he's an anti-abortion activist. Because he actually does things to try to get abortion, abortion banned, such as giving a, a, a justification for uh, state issue one, which is primarily on the ballot in order to sabotage the uh, reproductive rights amendment that will be vo- that's going supposed to be voted on in November. And of course, I still don't believe that that even if state issue one passes that it's going to affect that, that, because I don't think it, I don't think you can do that uh, legally uh, force, you know, because they've already completed the process. They've already got their signatures. They've been approved to be put on the ballot. So I don't see how you could change the constitution for future ballot measures and have that apply ex post facto. Is, is the legal terminology. Do you like what you hear? Would you like to support the show so we can make it better? You can write a review for podcast apps that allow reviews. You can share our website, glasscityhumanist.show, 
with your friends, and you can donate to the show using the donate link on the website. Any support is appreciated. Professor Strang is also uh, against the LGBT community or doesn't support them. Professor Strang wrote a letter back in 2003, back in February of 2003, that was published in The Record, which is the independent weekly newspaper at Harvard Law School. And it's titled, Private, in quotation marks, Acts, Public's Harm. And, and uh, let me just kind of set the, set the stage for this uh, particular letter. At the time that uh, Strang wrote his letter, the U.S. Supreme Court was considering the case of Lawrence v. Texas. And Lawrence v. Texas was a lawsuit that claimed that Texas's sodomy laws were unconstitutional. Uh, sodomy laws are, are typically understood to include consensual, adult, non-procreative sexual activity. A lot of times it includes same-sex uh, sexual activity. Um, it can also include masturbation. It can also include other, uh, other sexual activities. And so the, because of people not liking homosexuality or masturbation or anything like that, they've had laws that included heavy fines, prison sentences, or both with um, some states with Illinois, beginning with Illinois in 1827. They could also keep you from voting, you know, take away rights, etc., etc. As of 1960, every state had an anti-sodomy law, and in 1961, the American Law Institute's Model Penal Code advocated the repeal of sodomy laws as they applied to private, adult, consensual behavior. Now, this is the key. This is the key when we're talking about uh, laws, so sodomy laws, um, um, information on uh, uh, birth control, which was also used to be illegal, um, abortion, Anything that you do in the privacy of your own home, as long as it does not harm other people, the government has no business sticking its nose into it. And so it's really important to note that, that the sodomy laws outlawed uh, consensual adult non-procreative sexual activity. And it was particularly used to uh, target homosexual men and and you could be put in jail it's like it's like if if somebody knew you were in a homosexual relationship they could assume that you were having sex and the police could break down your door and arrest you that's how these laws worked so in 2003 the court was considering Lawrence v Texas and the, and so the way it found, the way it happened was court eventually ruled six to three that consensual, adult consensual non-procreative sexual activity was protected by the Constitution because you had a right to privacy. So again, as long as you are not harming other people, that's why it says consensual. That's why they define it as consensual. As long as you were not harming other people, then the courts, the courts said you, the government needed to keep its nose out of it. So that case was decided in June. So in February of 2003, uh, Professor, currently Professor Strang, uh, sent this letter to the, the Harvard Law School newspaper saying private acts, public harm. So I'm going to read the beginning of it, or most of the beginning of it, um, and then I'll have some comments on it. And so he writes, he says, A look at this term Supreme Court docket reveals another example of a continuing conflict in our society between two rival and incompatible visions of the nature of man and society. This particular case, Lawrence v. Texas, involves a petition by two men convicted under the Texas sodomy statute. 
the court must choose whether to force states to abide by one of the two rival visions of society. One vision, represented by the petitioners, is of a society that does not seek to guide its citizens to become fully integrated human beings. This society is agnostic between different views of the good possessed by its people. As a result, it cannot help people reject activity that is harmful to them so long as the activity does not directly impede the rest of the citizens from pursuing their vision of the good. This society must not prohibit private activity, no matter how immoral. And then he next says, The opposing vision is Christian and Aristotelian. Most Christians believe that men are created with a purpose, to love God, to serve Him, and to be with Him in heaven. According to 1 Corinthians 6.9, homosexual activity and social tolerance of such activity contravenes the individual's and society's purposes. According to this worldview, both homosexuals and those who are exposed to them are harmed when society refuses to proscribe their private activity. Of course, uh, Strang doesn't mention what that harm is. I'm assuming by based on the text that a person is harmed from um, serving God or to love God. You know, because if, if you're not, if you're having sex not to procreate, then for some reason that's a, an offense against God. And, and yes, I do know that, that the Bible talks about uh, homosexuality and not in a good way. Um, but again, we're talking about religious beliefs. You know, he said, he says in his piece here that the activity is immoral. Well, how does he know it's immoral? Because the Bible tells him that it's immoral. That might be a valid thing for him. You know, if he feels that way, if he feels that homosexuality is, is harmful and immoral, then he should not perform those activities. So then they did a, a, a poll, poll quote where they take a bit and highlight it. And it says, and he writes, people who have not yet discovered the truth or are confused about their purpose are harmed by a society that does not prescribe homosexual activity. These people are tempted to believe that such activity is not harmful. Well, technically it's not harmful. If, if you're a consenting adult and you're having non-procreative uh, sex, who are you harming? You know, that, that's the question is, who are you harming? Um, it shouldn't be against the law if you're not harming anybody. Again, if it's consensual, you're not harming anybody. You know, as long as they're adults, you're not harming anybody. You know, people say, well, if you don't, and in some of the things that they're talking about, and I think he kind of alludes here that if you don't, if the court doesn't rule correctly on this, then who knows, you know, all bets are off, and there'll be sex everywhere, all kinds of immoral sex. No, not necessarily. You know, we still have laws against uh, sex with children. We still have laws against incest and things like that. You know, this is just talking about sodomy. This is talking about uh, consensual, adult, non-procreative sex. And, and the government needs to keep their nose out of it. Then it says here, uh, uh, Christian parents today are faced with a culture that attempts to subvert at every turn their struggle to enable their children to achieve their purpose. My wife and I want our children to know that sexual intimacy is, by God's design and man's nature, made to bring a man and woman together as husband and wife and that, and that to co-create with God new people. We do not want to live in a community that tries to tell our children exactly the opposite. In a society that permits homosexual activity, we have to explain to our children before their years would otherwise make it necessary why people harm themselves and why homosexual activity is wrong. You know, that's his opinion. That's his opinion based on his religious beliefs. And the fact that he's telling his children, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Now, I do have a problem if you then use that belief 
to make sodomy laws outlawing uh, homosexual sex or any uh, consensual adult non-procreative sexual activity because it's none of your business what happens in the privacy of somebody's bedroom. And just because somebody is in a house down the street having sex and not making babies doesn't have anything to do with your children. It doesn't have anything to do with how you raise your children. You know, they're going to know soon enough that there are differences, that not everybody follows the Bible. Not everybody is trying to love God. And there are different people. There, people love other people. You know, love is love. Whether it's a uh, uh, same sex or different sex or intersex or any of those things. And so this letter, it just, it just shows his Christian nationalism in a blazing red flag. You know, that he would talk about this, this Supreme Court case before it had even been decided that that he's making these assumptions that homosexuality is immoral and it's harmful. To who? Not to him. And if, if, if he feels that it's immoral, then he should not perform those acts. Simple as that. This is Glass City Humanist. So let's get to... Uh, talking about his um, founding of his school. It's the Northwest Ohio Classical Academy. It was, um, it's a conservative public charter school that opened in 2019 and now enrolls about 500 students. And it says, Strang says the idea first started in his living room when several families gathered to brainstorm options for their children. And, and the information I have quotes him, says, we were from all different backgrounds, different schooling choices, he says, but we were not happy with the options. Homeschooling was time-consuming and burdensome to family life. Private school was expensive and tuition was a strain on family resources or the education provided was not considered worth the price. Public education had low income, low academic value or was inconsistent with their family values. We wondered how we could start a private, religiously-oriented school that would provide an education consistent with family values. And so um, the Northwest Ohio uh, Classical Academy is a public uh, charter school. And what that means is it accepts uh, state tax dollars to operate. It is not overtly religious. You know, it meets in a church or a former church building but it's not, you know, they don't have a uh, chapel and they don't have uh, ministers uh, teaching classes and religious education isn't really done. It's done in the context of social studies, you know, just talking about different religions. It's not like a Catholic school at all or an evangelical private school at all. The uh, classical academy um, movement, uh, I call it a movement, is a conservative-based uh, um, alternative to a religious school in that it basically hides the religious intent so that you can get tax dollars easily and not uh, run afoul of uh, uh, state law or, or federal law that prohibits uh, schools from getting direct money from the government. Uh, I mean, they teach Latin. They teach Latin in this school. Latin is a dead language. Um, I was talking to somebody who went to a Catholic school in the 80s, and back in the 80s, Latin was optional for Catholic students. You know, there's no real use for Latin, but they add it to add on to this classical. And so it does, basically, it focuses on, uh, for like literature, it focuses on uh, dead white men. And... <laughs> In, in history, it, it deals with all the good things about America and doesn't talk about the bad things, at least not comprehensively as, as we should. And so they had a, a family handbook that uh, really kind of uh, gave me pause. Uh, they have a section on teaching controversial issues. 
And we've seen in the news uh, these parent uh, groups, supposedly grassroots parents, complaining about CRT and grooming children and removing inappropriate books, et cetera, et cetera. So this Northwest Ohio uh, Classical Academy has a section in their family handbook about teaching controversial issues. And it goes on, it says, controversial issues are defined as contemporary problems, subjects, or questions of a political, religious, or social nature where there are entrenched differences of opinion and passions run high. Controversial issues will be explored only when emanating from some part of the curriculum in grades 9 through 12. When these subjects come up, teachers will present an impartial view of both sides of the issue without prophetizing. Contemporary controversial issues will not be discussed in an elementary school, even if part of the core knowledge sequence, without headmaster approval. Parents will have the choice of having their children opt out of this, op this portion of the class. Now, this is what got me. It says, no part of the curriculum will be used to undermine the nobility of America's experiment in liberty and self-government under the rule of law. So basically, they're going to whitewash everything. And that I have a problem with. And, you know, I, I, I get it. I get it why some adults don't want their children to learn uh, the, the truth about history and about America's experiment in liberty and self-government. You know, I'm, I'm guessing they probably don't want their kids to learn about the uh, uh, Trail of Tears. Uh, they don't want them to know about the internment camps during World War II. Uh, they don't want them to know about uh, the civil rights era. And the fact that it took 100 years from the time that the slaves were freed before they were considered uh, actual citizens and could vote. You know, it, it's tough to explain stuff like that, I guess. You know, they just kind of want to avoid reality, I'm, I'm guessing. <sighs> anyway, so then they have a next section on teaching evolution. So it says, Northwest Ohio Classical Academy embraces a, a rigorous program in the natural sciences. In biology, the school will teach the theory of evolution as found in the standard high school biology textbooks as also taught at the college level of both secular and religious colleges. The theory of evolution is largely misunderstood today by the general public. Much of what constitutes the teaching of evolution concerns adaptation of species to their environment and change over time. A great many of these phenomena are observable. A very small percentage of evolutionary theory deals with the more controversial issue of the origins of life, and in particular human life. This latter aspect of evolution, to the extent it is taught, will be introduced to students briefly with a great deal of circumspection. It is not a central part of the theory there. Furthermore, the study of science will be confined to the investigation of the physical world. It is not the place of science to make metaphysical claims, nor to confirm or deny the validity of religion or the existence of God. And then it says the role of the teacher in a public school is neither that of preacher nor of skeptic. Rather, teachers of history, when called upon by the curriculum, will teach the history of religion without either advocating or undermining religion in general or any specific faith. Likewise, science teachers will teach science without comment on religion. Teachers, students, parents must realize that a biology class has a particular purpose and is not a proper venue for a philosophical or theological discussion on the existence of God or claims relating to the activity of God or absence thereof in the natural world. That sounds completely reasonable. Other than the fact that they're ignoring macroevolution and only staying with microevolution. So then we get to where they talk about teaching human sexuality. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. However, a red flag just lit up the sky when I, when I read this part. It says here in teaching under teaching human sexuality, sexual intercourse will only be discussed in the context of a monogamous relationship between two people of opposite sexes. That right there tells me this is a religious school. You know, it's not a difference of opinion. And they took a, a specific position. Now, remember, when talking about evolution and science, 
They said they weren't going to take a position on anything. They were just going to teach the facts. We get to human sexuality, and it's only going to be monogamous relationship between two people of opposite sexes. That means that if uh, Timmy has two moms, they're not going to discuss their two moms in class. And the other thing that bothered me about this, too, is they're going to teach human sexuality in the fifth grade. Okay? And, and they give parents the opportunity to review the materials, talk to the teacher, and they even have the opportunity to opt their children out of this whole thing. Okay? And then it says, depending on the general maturity level of the fifth grade boys, NOCA may decide that this curriculum is too much information and less necessary for boys at this stage of development, and therefore delay these lessons for a later time. You know, why are they putting that on the boys? The boys are the ones that need to know this stuff, and they're the ones that need to know the facts about human sexuality. And there's also a bit about anti-abortion. It rears its ugly head within within that school as well. Um, They do field trips, and one of the field trips that they did was uh, several girls from, and this was back in 2020, several girls from the Northwest Ohio Classical Academy freshman class found a way to help bring Christmas cheer to community members unable to have visitors during this special time of year. The girls wrote personalized Christmas letters to the residents of the Glendale Assisted Living Center and a generous do- uh, donor provided hand-knit stockings for the residents. The girls also bought baby toys, and baby essentials for Heartbeat of Toledo. Heartbeat of Toledo is one of those fake uh, pregnancy crisis uh, centers that receive uh, tax dollars in order to convince women not to have abortions. Uh, The other thing, too, is that they had a uh, um, Jimmy Seitz, who is a religious speaker, speak at the school and sign autographs for the kids. And in the comments, it says, wow, public school, good stuff right there. God is in, is in the move. So they expose the kids to religious uh, religion during the school day in the school building, but it's not a school, you know, it's not a religious school, supposedly. Um, and then, then they take field trips to like Greenfield Village in Michigan says, uh, NOCA first graders enjoyed the field, gr- field trip to Greenfield Village in Michigan. Our students learned the truth about the men and women who contributed to America's great- greatness. Instead of using the, quote, history, unquote, of the 1619 Project at Greenfield Village, our students saw firsthand the positive impact of America's ingenuity, resourcefulness, entrepreneurship, about which they have been learning in our BSCI curriculum. And that'd be a good time. BSCI is the Barney School Curriculum Initiative. And that is from Hillsdale College, which is an evangelical Christian college uh, connected to the DeVos family, which is the Amway people. Uh, Betsy DeVos was Secretary of Education under uh, Trump. So this this curriculum is from Hillsdale College, and it's uh, uh, it's an alternative to uh, public school curriculums. And basically, they it's a whitewash. It's a whitewash of real history to protect the children. Um, and then they also, back in 2021, says the NOCA upper school students engaged in the legislative process today by attending the Foundation for Life Legislative Breakfast. The students had the opportunity to listen to the keynote speaker, State Representative Derek Marin, uh, 40, 47th House District, and he's from Monclova Township. Uh, he is an evangelical uh, Christian nationalist. Explain the various bills and issues he and his colleagues are working on for the state of Ohio and our local community. In February of this year, uh, the Northwest Ohio Classical Academy had a Liberty Gala fundraiser, and their keynote speaker was Steve Deese, who is a conservative activist who basically supports Donald Trump. And he wrote, he says, tremendous, uh, this Steve Deese on his uh, uh, Twitter feed, 
says, Tremendous weekend here in Toledo with real patriots really doing something for the king of kings and country. I'd rather do events with salt-of-the-earth folks like these than CPAC any day. They're making much more of an actual difference. Honored to be invited. Greatly encouraged to see the faithful remnant remind us that a, a live faith will put that a live faith will put that faith to good work. And Professor Strang and his wife uh, love Steve Deese. The other thing too is that uh, Professor Strang on on many occasions gets puff pieces by the blade. They call on him to answer questions about constitutional issues that come up. Um, they also interviewed him about this intellectual diversity uh, center that's going to be built or uh, created at the University of Toledo, and saying that you know, hey, this is just uh, this is just going to be inclusive. We're going to have all ki- types of of uh, views expressed, which is not true. Um, but, but that's what he says. And all of these puff pieces that come out about, uh, Strang is, uh, written by Jeff Smucker at the Blade. Jeff Smucker has a child that attends the Northwest Ohio Classical Academy. He is personal friends with Professor Strang. They never disclose the connection between the two. Uh, Strang is also often favorably interviewed by conservative Christian friends uh, Fred Lefevre and Jerry Anderson. Uh, Northwest Ohio uh, Classical Academy headmistress Anastasia Desmond promotes uh, the, the academy via interviews on Christian media such as Proclaim FM. And uh, the, the academy also is proud to include Joel Berry among their parents. Berry is the managing editor of the Babylon Bee and co-author of their Guide to Wokeness. He also blames miserable unmarried women for the GOP losses in 2022 midterm elections. So those are some good people to hang out with your kids, huh? So unfortunately, um, like I said, uh, Professor Strang elected to cancel the interview. And so I just needed to get this uh, profile done. It's something I've been working on for quite a while. And, you know, this is somebody, uh, Strang is just somebody who is not in favor of rights for atheists or non-believers, who tries to get exemptions for everything for uh, believers. And he believes that the First Amendment gives them exemptions. He's uh, an anti-abortion activist. He founded a religious school, but disguises it as a classical academy in order to get state tax dollars. He also, you know, he got that uh, uh, intellectual diversity uh, um, unit to be added to the University of Toledo, paid for by state tax dollars. Now, why something like that has to be paid for with state tax dollars when most of those vanity projects are paid for by donors. You know, that's how, that's how insidious these Christian nationalists are and how uh, corrupt they are. You know, he helped, Strang helped Rob McCauley on getting this uh, state issue one passed through the legislature to be put on the ballot. And, they're paying him back by giving him state tax dollars to create this conservative think tank at the University of Toledo Law School. It, it smells, I'm sure Professor Strang is in general a nice guy, but he is ultra religious. He is no friend for, no friend of secular people. And he's teaching constitutional law and it's a warped idea of constitutional law. And so I just wanted to make people aware about him. And so if you see articles by Jeff Smucker in the Toledo Blade about Strang, think of it, you know, with a grain of salt because it's a puff piece and they didn't, they never disclosed the connection. And this is just a conservative we need to watch out for. Thank you for listening. For more information about the topics in this episode, 
please visit the episode page at glasscityhumanist.show. Glass City Humanist is an outreach of the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie. Sholey can be reached at humanistswle.org. Glass City Humanist is hosted, written, and produced by Douglas Berger, and he's solely responsible for the content. Our theme music is Glass City Jam, composed using the Amplify Studio. See you next time. Thank you.